All right, well, I'd like to begin this morning with this big idea, this concept. And it'll come up on the side screens. You can fill it out in your program if you want, or uh, you can on our JAR app, and it's this. Everyone is tested, but how you respond to a test is most important. Everyone is tested, but how you respond to a test is most important. Each of us experience tests in life. Recently, I went to the doctor and I had to have some blood tests. And some of you maybe have gone to an eye doctor and you've had to have eye tests. Some of you might be students and you actually are taking tests in school. Most of us who are in this room have taken this test before. You know what that is? The Indiana driver's test. Now, what's funny about this, I talked to a couple of guys. One guy owns his own company, uh, very, very affluent. Another guy is uh, in higher education, really bright guys. Both of them have flunked their driver's test in the last month. I'm like, dude, you must have got dumber, you know what I mean? Or the test got harder, one of the two. But they had to take the test just like anyone else. And some of you, I've seen you drive into the parking lot before. You need a refresher test, okay? That's what you need. That's what you need. Now, the reality is, even though no one likes to take tests, the tests that I just mentioned are pretty easy compared to some of the tests that you and I experience in life. Ten years ago, this past week, my wife Jennifer and I got in our car at 8 o'clock in the morning and we took off to Ball Memorial Hospital where my wife was going to be induced uh, within a couple of hours, and we were going to have our very first child. And we were so excited about it. We're looking forward to all the joy that this would be. And we were assuming, because uh, Jennifer had done many deliveries before as a doctor, that this would be a typical delivery. Everything would be fine. But as Jennifer's labor began, um, it became very intense, and so we decided that we would Uh, go ahead and take the epidural. It didn't affect the the baby at all. And so it kind of took off the pain for a little bit and eased that for her. But Jordan's head was stuck. And uh, the delivery in the midst of this started to stall. And my wife went through 12 hours of labor. And Jordan, our daughter, was upside down and crooked. And her vital signs began to go down. The doctor worked another hour trying to get the baby out, and her vitals went even lower. And at this point, they decided that they would use a vacuum to get Jordan out to have an emergency delivery. And when Jordan came out, she was blue, and she wasn't breathing. Her APGAR score was a 1. Healthy babies, when they come out, typically are somewhere between 8 and 10. And the first test of our role as parents hit in a great way. They immediately called in the code pink team of nurses and doctors and specialists who would begin to start working on Jordan. And Jen was overwhelmed to the max because as a doctor, she knows exactly that many times 
these things don't turn out the way that you want. And I held my wife's hand, and we began to start praying. And people just intrinsically, our family and friends who were in the waiting room, they started praying. And what seemed like an eternity, ten minutes later, Jordan started breathing, and pretty soon her score went from a one to a nine. And God gave us a great miracle that we get to love on and care for. And we have a picture of Jordan when she was a baby. And, uh, you know, they don't stay that way, though. And this past week, she turned uh, 10 years old, double digits. And, um, man, that kid eats a lot. I mean, I mean, she is just about ready to eat us out of house and home. And uh, she's starting to get a little bit mouthy every once in a while. So if, if you ever hear her get mouthy, just say, you know, your dad wouldn't be happy right now. You know what I mean? Uh, no, don't do that to her. That'd be bad. But we were given this wonderful miracle. Now, I'm sitting here and I tell you a story, but I know for some of you, you've experienced tests that have been much harder than what I just shared. And you've gone through trials that are very difficult. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when a trial hits my life, I begin to start wondering, why am I going through this? Like, why me? And why now? And I have a feeling that on Mother's Day, some of you are here and you're celebrating and you're grateful for everything, but some of you moms are going through some trials right now. And you get your special day today, but the reality is you're going through something. Maybe it's a test in your marriage. Maybe it's a test with your kids. Maybe it's a test with your work. Maybe it's a test that you've been listening to this lie from the evil one for a long time that keeps saying you're a failure as a mom. And I just want you to know today that if you're a mom, that's a lie. That is not true. Maybe for some of you, you have a test with your own mom right now. It's a rocky situation, and you're struggling with what that looks like, and it's a trial, and it's a test, and it's difficult. Maybe some of you are being tested at work, and you're working your tail off, you're trying to take the overtime, do whatever, and yet... Things aren't working out the way that you want. Maybe some of you are going through some health tests right now, and you're not sure how your health is going to be. Maybe for some of you, you have a contentious uh, relationship with someone in your life, and you're struggling with that right now, and there's this test, and you don't even know why it's happening. And folks, the reality is, is that every single one of us in this gym are going to be tested in life. There is no such thing as a non-tested life. But how we respond to the test is what is most important. And God knows that we're going to go through tests. And so he wanted us to know that we're not alone. And so he wrote a book called the Bible. But then he gave specific things when we're going through trials. And that's what I want us to look to uh, this morning. In James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, Uh, James was the uh, uh, brother of Jesus, that James actually writes because he knows the trial that Jesus went through, and now he knows trials that Christians are going through, and he writes these words, uh, starting in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever 
you face trials of many kinds. Now, am I the only one? But when I read that, I'm kind of confused by that. Let's look at it again. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Folks, I don't know about you, but when I face trials, I don't think about joy. You know, it's not like I'm sitting there going, God, bring on the trials. I just want more joy in my life. Any more testing you can do, any more struggles I can have, God, just bring it on to me, whatever it is. And I think many of us rarely, if ever, count our trials as joy. And it's because that our society is consumed with a passion for comfort. For example, think of the way that we name things. Lazy boys. What's that mean? You're supposed to be lazy when you sit in that thing. Lazy Susans. You know what a lazy Susan is? I don't want to go through all the work of actually having to pass something. Just leave it right there in the middle of the table and we'll spin it around. Okay? Or uh, lazy days of summer, like that's coming. But everything's around comfort. We even have what are called lazy cars now. There was a recent auto show in Chicago, and uh, one dealer uh, didn't even call the vehicle that he had a car. He called it a living room on wheels. Living room on wheels. And some of the options that you can get in your car now is a beverage holder that has a temperature control so that you can have your drink as hot or as as cold as you want. You can have seats that massage your back while you're driving. You can have a back seat refrigerator. Like you don't have enough food that you have already. Just have the refrigerator right behind you. One marketer put it this way. It's all about conveniences and adapting vehicles to whatever the consumer wants. The only thing missing from today's cars are running water and a bathroom. But Ford now has actually come up with running water in your car. Check this out. It's called the On The Go H2O. It's capable of producing two liters of water from your air conditioner every it's filtered. They're not taking it straight through your... Some of you are like, oh. It's filtered, folks, okay? But it's big gulp size every single hour, 64 ounces right out of the tap. Now, I've got to confess that there was one option that I was reading about that I thought would be great as a Mother's Day gift for my wife. And so I'm not sure if we're going to do it this Mother's Day because it's pretty expensive. But a Mother's Day coming up, I'm sure we're going to do this. And it is called automatic parallel parking. Because my wife, I love her. And she is a wonderful woman. She is a marvelous mom. She is an amazing doctor. But she stinks when it comes to parallel parking. In fact, my kids get so nervous and anxious. They're like, Dad, can you do this right now? Now... So this is what happens. You, you basically just push a button on your navigation screen and you take your hand off of the wheel. You breathe deeply and it parallel parks itself perfectly. Isn't that awesome? 
Like, think about that. You never have to parallel park or watch somebody who doesn't do it very well, i.e. my wife Jennifer. Uh, You know, very well to do that. Well, folks, every single person here, you know what we're a creature of? Comfort. We want life to be comfortable. And we seek comfort any way that we can find it. No wonder then, when James says these words, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's hard for us to hear that. Now, the Greek word here, trial, uh, the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, it was all written in Greek and then translated into English. But the word here, actually, trial means uh, external afflictions, particularly persecution. In other words, James is talking about when you go through a trial, when you are persecuted, you should consider it joy. Now, folks, trials take on many different forms. Things like illness or financial distress or loss of any kind, depression, a breakup of a relationship. And yet James says that without trials, you can't ever grow deeper in your faith. Verse 3 puts it this way. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking, what's it say? Anything. James says that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, which ultimately then leads to maturity. Now the question becomes then, okay, if we're going to have trials, how can trials do that? How can they help me grow in my faith so that I never give up? Well, here's your uh, fill-in right here. The first one is that trials help us strengthen our faith. Trials actually help us to strengthen our faith so that we never give up. Now, when you and I suffer and we go through the fires of adversity in this life, most of us realize that if we hang on long enough, we'll actually be stronger on the other side. I bet you've heard people say that before. Oh, you'll be stronger when you get through this. Now, when people say that, we're like, that's dumb. But we like to think other people like, I think that's true for you. I just don't want to go through it. Once you go through this pain or this illness or this struggle in your life, you'll be stronger for it. But let it be someone else, not myself. But we can't develop the kind of staying power, James says, that we need to mature in our faith if things are always comfortable. And so... We need something different. We don't want to become flabby Christians in the midst of that. Because everyone is tested, but how you respond to the test is of most importance. One of my favorite authors and uh, speakers uh, is a guy by the name of Henry Cloud. And you could uh, read any of his books, but there's a book called Integrity that he wrote. And this is what he says. Fixing a marriage, a company, one's own performance or addiction or depression a failure, a relationship, even a physical injury are all possible and done successfully every day by people of character. But these people have oriented themselves to a basic reality that there is no gain without, what's it say? Now, in sporting events, we always want to hear, no pain, no gain, you know what I mean? You're like, no, 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 I don't like that in life, though. No gain, no pain. 
In the end, the shortcut is always the longest route. And people of character know this, and it has become a part of their makeup. It is the way that they think and the way that they are. Now, before we continue, what I want you to do, I want you to think real, real quickly, if you can, is to think about a trial that you've experienced in your own life recently. And for some of you, you could think of that today. You're like, oh man, I'm going through something right now. But I'd like you to think of that, to identify whatever that is. And for some of you, maybe you have to think longer about it. And then I want you to ask yourself the question, did I grow out of that? Did I actually grow from that? I mean, are you stronger today than before you went through that trial? Are you a little bit more like Jesus today because of enduring that trial? Maybe the greatest kind of long-term persecution or trial that I've actually had in my life is in my relationship with my oldest brother, Tim. He's five years older than me, and growing up as kids, we just never got along very well. Now, part of that might be because he actually sold my Huffy dirt bike. No kidding. We come home one day, my dirt bike's not there. My parents are like, you left it somewhere. They're like getting on my case. No, 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 you, you're just being irresponsible. I'm like, no, I didn't. It was right here, and now it's gone. And we had no idea where it went until years later. My brother said, oh, yeah, I, uh, I sold that. What do you do with that? You know, like, what do you do with that? Well, because of those kind of things in childhood, we did not get along. And honestly, as we became adults, we didn't get along very well either. And part of that is because my, ba- uh, my, uh, my brother has battled uh, drug abuse and mental illness for his entire adult life. And he has been estranged now from our family for the past two years. He'd done this one time before for seven years, but now it's been two years. And he chooses now not to have any contact with anyone in our family except me. And once a month, regardless of uh, what he does or says, I send an encouraging text to him. Nothing guilt-driven, nothing that is controversial. Just, hey, bro, thinking of you today. Uh, just wanted you to know I love you. Hope you're doing well. That's it. And so once a month. I send this. And uh, many times he'll write back to me and he'll rip on me and he'll talk about how I'm judgmental and I'm not very loving, I'm not very kind, all these kind of things. And persecution hits and this trial has been going on for my entire adult life. And finally, in January of this past year, I received this text from him. It says this, please don't ever message me again. Now, the problem with me is I'm not a very good listener. (laughs) And my wife will even tell you that. And I just don't listen to him very well. And so once a month, about two sentences that has nothing to do with guilt or anything else, I just send, hey, bro, thinking of you today, love you, hope you're doing well, that's it. So I kept doing this until finally April hit. 
And I get this long text from my brother. I'm like, yes, it finally worked. And it was this big, long text basically that just said, I need my birth certificate. Now, at that point, I thought I could respond right now. I could tell this guy exactly about what I think about him. And he can take his birth certificate and he can shove it to the... But then all of a sudden I thought, huh, I don't think that will help us at all. And then it hit me. I've done a lot of things much worse than Tim. And God's never given up on me. And why would I choose to give up on him? And so my parents were gracious and said, hey, we'll go get the birth certificate for him. We know exactly where it's at. We'll take it and we'll send it. Now, what he doesn't realize is that the Holy Spirit is working in everything. And honestly, for the last two years, you know the only thing that we've really wanted to know? Where he lives. (laughs) Well, if you have a birth certificate and they want it, what do you have to do? You got to know their address. Well, now we know he lives in Washington State. We know exactly where his address is, what he's doing, and we sent that off to him, and he has not texted us since then. But we know where he's at. Folks, when you're going through a trial, and if it's a relational trial, so often what we want to do is fix everything that we can, or we totally give up on that. And I don't think that's what God desires. He wants us to know that no matter the trial that we don't have to give up because he never gives up on us. And you know what's been amazing? As I've gone through this trial, God has strengthened me in so many ways. I've actually become more kind, more understanding when people do wrong to me because of what I've experienced. And our family, even in the midst of this, which... There's no happiness when this kind of thing happens. But it was amazing to me at Easter. I was sitting there, and our whole family's together, and there's joy. And we're praying together. And we miss my brother, but it doesn't affect us because we know we can consider it joy even when we go through hardships because Christ is with now, with me saying, uh, sharing this story today, I realize that some of your situations are much more difficult than mine. This is just one experience in my life. And some of you are going through trials that are so much more difficult, and relationally they're more complicated. I get that. The point, though, is that we don't have to compare our pain. That's the problem that we do as human beings sometimes. We're going through something, and what we want to do is feel better, so we start comparing, well, my story's worse than yours. Folks, if you're going through a trial, you know what it is? A trial. Big trial, little trial, somewhere in the middle of the trial. Can we be present in the midst of that? And can you see where you become more like Jesus when you choose to consider it joy regardless of what you're going through? You know how I found to, to be able to understand this more? It really becomes what our perspective is of God. Do we see God as a good God, or do we see a God as one who is beating us down? Let's look at verse 5 real quick, and let's read this out loud together. It'll come up on the side screen. Let's read it together in one voice. If you need wisdom, 
Ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. Folks, God is focused, and He's single-mindedly focused on you and what you're going through. And He wants to be able to give you wisdom as you go through whatever trial you're experiencing. And God is not the type of person like human beings are, that I give you wisdom one day, but then I take it back the next. God doesn't sit up in heaven kind of like with this whole, uh, you know, keeping track checkoff list. Okay, I gave them some wisdom yesterday. I'm taking a couple days off. Boy, they're so needy. Not today. No, 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 no. He's not doing that. He's generous in giving you wisdom that is available every single day. How essential then is it, do you think, that you're rooted in understanding who this God is, that he's a good God, that he loves you, that he wants the best for you? I think it's absolutely critical on how we get through trials is how we perceive God. If we see God as good and give us wisdom, and even if we're in the middle of the trial, but it will not last forever, that he's present with us. Take a look at verse 17 here, and we're reminded of how good he is. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of his heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I bet you have some friends that are like shifting shadows, aren't they? That ten years ago you thought, oh man, this person is like, they are my, my, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, they got my back, they're always there. And then all of a sudden they shift like a shadow and you don't even see them anymore. And God's not like that. He does not walk away regardless of the trial that we're experiencing. He's unchanging with his goodness for us. And how aware are you of the fundamental kind of concept that forever, always, completely, he's always going to be a good God to you? Now, sometimes part of this goodness is related to the fact that he chooses to discipline us. God wants a relationship with us so much that sometimes he'll choose to discipline us so that we actually grow closer and we grow deeper in our relationship. Now, every mom in this place today knows that if you're going to have a well-balanced kid, that you can't just love them all the time. Only love, only love, only love, only love, only love. That's all I'm going to give them. But great parenting has two things, love and limits. If you just love all the time, I love you. You know what happens to those kind of kids? Spoiled brats. And you know what happens? They come to church and we have to let them know they're not spoiled, okay? And then on the other side, we have limits. To where some parents, that's all they're about. Here's all these limits, limits, rules, and everything. And that's not it. There needs to be a balance. God is the best at loving us, but giving us limits. And I know for my wife Jennifer and I, one of the things that we struggle with the most is the limit side of it. Why? Because limits don't make you their friend. And yet limits are very important. Now let's just be honest for ourselves though. We don't like limits. That's why we don't respond to trials with a sense of joy. Many of us fight this concept of going through a trial 
First of all, by denial. The trial comes, it might be a physical trial, a uh, relational trial, whatever it is. The trial hits and we're just like, oh, I don't think this is happening. This is not happening. You're like, no, 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 it's happening. It's bad. Look at this. No, no, I'm denying it. Maybe others of us, what we do is we blame other people or we blame God and we become the victims. Oh, I'm the victim. It's all because of God, what he did to me. Others of us choose escape. We'll do things like drugs, alcohol. We'll uh, take on many different forms. We'll escape to television. We'll escape in sleep. We'll escape to boredom. We'll escape through Facebook or Snapchat or anything else that's on the Internet. But none of these responses serve us well because we don't practice the discipline of steadfast endurance, of never giving up regardless of what's going on. We also in these times kind of have thoughts about God and we think foundationally, like I said earlier, that he's a dictator. That somehow he's looking down upon you and every time he's going, oh, I'm going to give a trial for them. I'm going to mess them up. I'm going to do something here haphazardly so that they can experience pain. That's not who God is. I want you to know, folks, that God is not a sadist. He's not. Look at these words from Lamentations 3.30. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to who? Who? Anyone. He doesn't bring it on anyone. No one. Now, it's absolutely true that we don't always understand the trials that hit us. There's some suffering in the world, folks, that I just don't understand. I don't get it at all. And there are some things that you can't explain. Why does a baby come into the world and they're born with leukemia and they die within months? No one can answer that question. Why is there someone who is a a teenager who experiences a car accident and wreck and something transpires and takes place? And then there are stillborn deaths that we just can't explain. Folks, there are trials and suffering that is happening in life all the time, which we can't understand why. But this is what I found, that it really isn't productive for me to try to figure out or discern why someone's going through something. I mean, the reality is we are not going to get all of our questions answered, folks, On this side of heaven. There are some things that we'll never know. But it's not productive for us to focus in on them. And this is what I found. That if our questions don't get answered, by the time we get to heaven, that won't even be a question anymore. You won't even care when you are able to be in the presence of God for eternity. But while we're here on earth, our primary job is to keep running the race to choosing to trust in God's goodness and to never, never give up. And this leads to a second way that our trials can help us grow, and it's this. Trials help us to have a greater dependence on God. When you're going through a trial, folks, it helps you. To have greater dependence on God. 
Folks, even when things are dark and they're confusing, even when there seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel and you feel like giving up and throwing in the towel, we can still choose to believe that even when the trials come our way, that we can choose, hey, I'm going to be more dependent on him and I'm going to trust him more. Now, sometimes, folks, we create our own trials because of our choices. Other times, trials hit us as a storm. I'd like you to listen to a story of a mom who attends our church. Her name's Kendall, and she's gone through a very big trial in her marriage and in her life. And yet, through the trial... She was able to grow in dependency upon God. Let's check out this on the side. So in the past, my husband, Jib, had uh, been using alcohol to help with uh, anxiety and his uh, drinking had gotten out of control. In our marriage, uh, things were very lonely and depressing and chaotic and crazy. Uh, He developed acute pancreatitis and ended up in the hospital for couple of months nearly died after which time he also started using prescription pain medications and um, it was during that time that I I left and filed for divorce my uh, my children were little at the time and I, I felt like for their their safety and just their future trying to make things different was what I needed to do filing for divorce was the hardest thing I've ever done and In some ways, I felt like I was hurting my children because I knew they were going to be sad and didn't want that. But I also felt like I had to do something different, and it was a way to protect them and and try to make their future different. So my children, through all of it, were probably at the forefront of every decision I made and a big priority of for what I needed to do, even though it was very hard. After I filed for divorce, um, Jib started to get into recovery, and I did as well. And he started making different choices, and um, there was a very long time of trust building that had to happen and, and did happen. He worked very hard for the reconciliation of our marriage and did lots and lots of things was tested in lots of ways. So on um, February 17th of 2014, we were able to um, get remarried, and um, we actually had our children in our wedding with us, uh, standing beside us, and um, it was a very special day for all of us as a family. In the midst of um, our divorce and separation, it was definitely the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And seeing my children so sad and helping them through that, it, it, in the moment when we're going through that and you see them sad, you can't see the other side of it. You can't see the good. It, it's very um, like a low you could have never imagined. And in the end, when we were able to get remarried, like I said, the the joy in my children's eyes, um, the fact that their pain made them grow as people and their character, um, and again, that they learned what grace was really like, 
that their faith in Christ is stronger because of that and that they've seen that Christ can help you through something as devastating as this um, was worth it in the end. Anything that you go through that's difficult, that you learn and feel God's love, grace, support, all of that, it's a gift in the end. I mean, it's a horrible thing to go through, but in the end, that's, that's the gift. Um, it's, it's such a gift to come through that and, and feel God's love and know that, that he had your back and that when you were alone, physically, emotionally, and, and nothing left in your tank, that it was God that carried me through that. Well, what a uh, miraculous story. Uh, Jib and Savannah and Isaac were sitting right over here in the first celebration. And uh, Kendall had to work today. But you talk about going through a trial and actually being stronger on the backside of that. And that trial lasted for years before it was ever reconciled. But there was just a sense that Kendall was like, I'm never going to give up because God doesn't give up on me. You know, I was just thinking that maybe for some of you, you're going through something today that you need just a little bit of a prescription that will give you strength to know that God works all things out for good because he's a good God. And so I want to give you a scripture in Romans 8.28, and it says this, And for some of you, you should cut this out, stick it up, remind yourself daily, memorize it. And we know that in all things, even in the trials, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working out a good thing in you that you can't even see right now. But if you'll hold on long enough, that the trial won't last forever. The scripture doesn't say that God will work out all things for your comfort, for your pleasure, for your 401k. But he says that I'll work out everything for your good for those who will choose to follow my purpose and are called to it. And if you start believing that, and you hang on to it. What it does is it transforms your heart even when it feels like the roof is caving in. And I was thinking about our moms particularly today. That maybe for some of you, you're going through a roof caving kind of experience. Maybe you have a trial that's with your kids right now or a trial at work or a trial in your marriage or a trial with a friendship. Maybe it's a trial with your finances. And moms and women, all of you who are here today, I don't know what your trial is, but on Mother's Day, be lavished with love from everyone around you and be cared for. But regardless of what is being said or done, know this, that whatever the trial is, God never leaves you. He will never 
give up on you. And the reason that you should never give up is because you have a God in heaven who is good and He never gives up on you. No matter what kind of mom you've been in the past, you're like, ah, it's in the past. Wherever you're at in the present, God wants to take you as a mom, as a woman of God, into the future in a greater way because He doesn't want to give up on you. He never lets go of you. Even if you give up on Him, He never lets go of you. So moms and women of the jar who are present here today, depend on God. Fight your trials. Use your gifts. Build your character. Feed your mind. Take great risks. Dream bigger dreams. Pray great prayers. And trust in the God who never gives up on you and who will never, ever let go of you. Uh, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up. And uh, if you'd like prayer for anything, they would love to pray with you. And uh, if today's your day and you're like, hey, uh, I want that good God who will never let go of me, then uh, they would love to pray uh, you with that. So, um, hey, let's pray and uh, we'll be done. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all that you give to us. Thank you for all the women who are in this gym, especially our moms. They brought us into this world and encourage us in so many ways. So I ask God that you'd help us to know how to honor them today and every day. Today, God, some of us are going through trials and we need your wisdom. And we know you're a generous God who loves to give that to us. And so I just pray, God, that now through your Holy Spirit, that you would give the wisdom that we need as we go through this week to know that you are present and we could grow closer to you knowing that you never let go of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, everybody, have a great week now that you're loved in this place. Happy Mother's Day. And if you can help tear down, that would be good. Thanks.